Hello, I'm Dawn Durham, and welcome to Patent Pod. Students who are deaf and hard of hearing need access to spoken language, whether that be conversations amongst individuals or instruction from the teachers. I'm excited today to speak with our guests about educational interpreters in the school setting. With us on Patent Pod is Sue Ann Hauser, educational consultant, and Cindy Brown, former president of the Pennsylvania Registry of Interpreters for the Deaf. She's been involved in this work for over 20 years. Thank you both for being on Patent Pod today. So, Ann, I want to just start with you to make sure we're kind of um, grounding ourselves in this conversation. In thinking about the school setting, help me understand, and, and for our viewers as well, who requires an interpreter in the educational setting? Students who are identified as deaf or hard of hearing, and with the IEP team, they decide if an educational interpreter is appropriate for access to instruction. And when a student who is deaf or hard of hearing um, goes through the IEP process, a communication plan is used, and that's where they indicate that uh, need for that accommodation. So that IEP team really is, is there to ensure that if access is needed, we're using that communication plan to indicate such, um, and then working through the process to obtain a, um, an educational interpreter. Am I understanding that correctly? Absolutely, yes. So then, Cindy, I, I want to bring you in on this conversation, because when we think about educational interpreters, there have to be very specific qualifications, I, I would think. So help us understand what are those qualifications that we need to be thinking about? Absolutely. Um, the Americans with Disabilities Act provides for effective communication. And in Pennsylvania, in 2004, a law was passed called the Sign Language Interpreter and Transliterator State Registration Act. And that law requires sign language interpreters in Pennsylvania to register with the Pennsylvania Office for the Deaf and Hard of Hearing. There are some exemptions to that requirement, and one of them is educational interpreting. And uh, Sue Ann can explain more about what the requirements are for the educational interpreters. Great. So educational interpreters are identified through Chapter 14. The requirements there say that an interpreter must have one of two qualifications. The first one would be have a score of 3.5 or higher on the educational interpreter performance assessment. And Patton administers that assessment and then sends it off to the EIPA, which is the Educational Interpreter Performance Assessment, sends it off to the Diagnostic Center for scoring. So that is one way. The second way is to be a qualified interpreter uh, through uh, the Office of Deaf and Hard of Hearing, which requires interpreters to register. That says that they have a national certification. So they can either be EIPA qualified or have a national certification as an interpreter. But regardless, they both would have to have 20 hours of professional development annually so that they can stay current and keep their skills up. And that, that, that professional development has to be around their role as an educational interpreter. So I hear the two of you, and I'm gonna kind of think about what both of you had shared. We do have um, in Pennsylvania an ability to register as an interpreter, but then we kind of go a step further when we think about educational interpreters as there is something different. There are you know, kind of uh, some nuances there that we have to consider. And we talk about under chapter 14, there's a performance assessment um, and or being recognized as a national interpreter. So when we think about those qualifications, um, it sounds like you had said patent it plays a role 
in that qualification process. Am I understanding that correctly? Yes. Yes, you are. Good. Yeah. Good. So, um, so when I want to, I want to keep going with this line of, of thought here. So we understand that there's a need that is identified by the, by the IEP team communicated in the communication plan. We understand that there are very specific qualifications when we think about an educational setting. So here I am as either a, a member of a school setting or a parent or child myself, and I need to know how to obtain this interpreter. Help me out in understanding that process. One of the first easiest ways would be to contact Patton. We can certainly provide resources, um, connections to agencies that you could hire one from um, about those qualifications. We have publications to help families so that they can get those in their hands and help educate their child's IEP team if, they, if new to them. So uh, we can certainly help because they can be hired directly or contracted with through an agency. So we think about patents, your first go-to is what I'm hearing you say, um, as we can assist with resources, publications, connecting you to the right individuals. Cindy, do you have uh, some additional thoughts? You know, you've been in this work for over 20 years. You're well-versed in Pennsylvania around interpreters and educational interpreters. Might you want to add anything in regards to how we can obtain this wonderful and needed resource? Sure. The Pennsylvania Office for the Deaf and Hard of Hearing, often called ODHH, uh, is a wealth of resources, and they are available to assist, provide information, and also to advocate for anybody in Pennsylvania who needs the services um, of a sign language interpreter or another accommodation so that they can have effective communication. I, you know, I so appreciate that you brought up the word advocate. Um, there are times when we certainly have to work towards advocacy. And as you had said, the Office of the Deaf and Hard of Hearing um, in Pennsylvania would be um, a source that we could certainly go to when we need assistance, as well as patent, um, as Sue Ann had said. You know, ladies, I, I appreciate the conversation, but I think I'd be remiss if we didn't talk about even just briefly code of professional conduct. Kind of help me out there, Sue Ann. Yeah, so uh, interpreters, as part of their role and their job, do follow a code of professional conduct. Mm -hmm. And uh, it really helps protect them, um, helps protect the students' rights and, and assure that um, the accommodation is being provided in the best light possible. Um, so often, you know, interpreters can get in a dual or conflicting role and we want to prevent that where they are that child's interpreter day in and day out. Um, and then a situation might arise where, you know, that student maybe doesn't want that person in the room with them for a counseling session um, so that they could possibly be able to have a conversation with a school counselor or someone else. And it's not that interpreter that's with them all the time. So that is, well, that is one piece. And that does come up in that code of professional conduct. Um, but then there are other situations that arise that, for example, if uh, their law enforcement might be involved or ch uh, children and youth services, and then there are options to provide a qualified interpreter for that as well. And, provides the school with that support to know that they need to hire an interpreter to come in who may have those qualifications. And Cindy, I think you might be able to highlight what that might look like. Yes, so interpreters who are state registered uh, have the minimum qualifications required to interpret, but 
if you are going to be working in situations with law enforcement and children and youth, you must have additional credentials in Pennsylvania. And so you can get uh, information about that from the Pennsylvania Office for the Deaf and Hard of Hearing. And it's important to um, contact the Office for the Deaf and Hard of Hearing ahead of time to find out what your resources are so that you can make a plan and have contracts and resources in place so that if the need arises, you have everything ready and you can proceed with what needs to happen so that uh, the child is protected and there's no harm or danger that comes to a child. You know, I think those are great points. And, and we certainly, um, you know, want to think of this as a very supportive role, right? When we think about educational interpreters, whether they're, um, you know, the, the interpreter that's with the child day in and day out, or we have to go to avoid those conflicts, like you had said, Suzanne, we have to kind of go to an outside interpreter and, and contract or obtain someone with maybe different qualifications based on the need. You know, I think we, the point is to remember that these are, these are children. These are families, um, and these are, you know, very uh, personal things that our students may want to say, hey, look, I'm, I'm just looking for a little bit of, of kind of separation here. And when we, we respect that and we, we want that for our families and our students to know they have that ability and they have that option. And as you had said, it's, it's really about, and, and Cindy, you had kind of echoed this, it's about supporting the schools and making sure that that process is in place already. So we're more um, proactive versus reactive, right? That's something we've talked about in the past, the three of us together. So I think that's that's kind of a good point to think about is let's be proactive versus reactive in all regards when we're thinking about um, interpreters in the educational setting. So Anna, any final thoughts you wanna add before we kind of uh, wrap this up? Yeah, Dawn, you know, I think what it boils down to is making sure everyone understands there are no exceptions for the qualifications of interpreters in the schools. They must meet the chapter 14 requirements, which is being qualified through the EIPA or through being registered as a nationally certified interpreter with, and be registered with ODHH. There's no provisional piece to it at all. So that's very important for everyone to remember and understand. Yeah, you know, I, I'm so glad that you, we kind of paused and, and thought that through, you know, as much as we talk about the qualifications and the registration and the times when we may have a conflict and we want to think outside about perhaps getting gaining another interpreter or there, as Cindy had indicated, there may be a need because of qualifications based on the situation that we find ourselves in, you know, we that no exceptions. This is what our students need. And therefore, we are going to provide that for our students um, in a qualified, appropriate manner. And I think that's a great point to kind of end on. So th thank you both, Sue Ann and Cindy, for being with us today. You know, part of Patent Pod's goal is to educate the field. And for those of us who may not live in the world of low incidents, this was such an important conversation to have. And I'm so thankful to both of you for joining us today. So thank you so much. Thank you, Don. Thank you to all of you in the field. You are truly an inspiration to us all. A special thank you to John Radstill for producing this podcast. We'll see you next time on Patent Pod.